Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Good morning. It is Friday, the 6th of December, 2019. So it is also the sixth day of Advent. And we are therefore in the sixth chapter of the Gospel According to Luke. Uh, I previewed that or reviewed that or I don't know, highlighted that at the outset of the first hour. And so I want to do a little preview of Luke 7 and 8 for weekend reading. Because once we're back together on Monday the 9th, we will be in the ninth chapter of the Gospel of Luke. And I don't want you to miss what's in chapter 7 and 8. So every day uh, of Advent this year, we are reading the, um, what would you call it, the, the complimentary chapter from the Gospel according to Luke. So it's 20, 24, day, 24 chapters in the Gospel of Luke, 24 days uh, in the beginning of December before Christmas. And so there you go. It's just a little, you know, no tricky math. Hey, you got a couple of more days to let us know that you're reading with us if you want to go to MyFaithRadio.com. And uh, click on the the little link there over on the right hand side of the page. Let us know you're reading with us. Nothing nothing fancy about that. We just kind of uh, love to know that our community of listeners is reading the Gospel of Luke with us. So just let us know that you're out there reading along. Um, so in Luke chapter seven, we get uh, the the encounter of Jesus with the centurion um, in this incredible exchange. Um, between the centurion, who is not a person who has been raised in the faith, why would he be a person who would recognize Jesus as the powerful Messiah, a Lord of life, able to, um, you know, able to do for him from afar uh, what what most people don't even think Jesus could do close at hand? So that's an incredible lesson on uh, on the power of faith. Jesus also raises the widow's son in this. Um, this is an incredible, uh, I mean, it, for people who don't know, Jesus actually raised people from the dead, not just Lazarus, um, but others during his lifetime. And so uh, this is one of those stories as well, out of a depth of compassion, Jesus raises the son of a of a widow woman. He then has uh, a fairly lengthy discussion about John the Baptist um, and a conversation then with some of John's disciples. That is a fascinating exchange, particularly in the season of Advent, when we're talking about preparing the way of the Lord and what that looks like and what that sounds like. Uh, And then Jesus has dinner with some Pharisees. In verse 36, when one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and he reclined at the table. So it's a bunch of Pharisees at dinner together. Uh, Jesus is with them. That must have been interesting table talk. Um, And this woman, uh, you know, a woman from town, like who was like known to be, she's described as sinful, Um, you know, living a sinful life. She shows up. Now, what's interesting is that she gets all the way in to, you know, these men reclining at the table, and she seeks out Jesus, and she weeps over his feet, washing them with her tears, and then wipes them uh, with her hair and kisses them and pours perfume on them. This is a dramatic, uh, very intimate, um, incredible act. And it is very interesting to me that Jesus then turns and has a conversation with Simon. I want you to remember that later on 
when we come back around to the conversation that Jesus has with Simon Peter um, uh, at the foot washing, which is obviously in the the very last 24 hours of Jesus's life. So anyway, that's an important uh, bookend to the conversation having here. All right. And then in Luke 8, we get the parable of the sower, um, the, the lamp on a stand, Jesus's response to his mother and his brothers, that actually his mother and his brothers are those who hear God's word and put it into practice, which echoes what we heard from Jesus in chapter 6. We get the calming of the storm, the restoration of a demon-possessed man, and then raising a dead girl and healing a sick woman. And so a lot of resurrection themes, redemptive themes, people who are in deep, desperate need in chapters 7 and 8 of Luke, and Jesus meets those needs. He touches these people. He raises them up. So I just want to encourage you to uh, do your Advent reading today, Luke 6, and over the weekend, Luke 7 and 8. Up next, Adam Holtz from Plugged In. We're going to talk about what's on the big and the small screen and the existential crisis um, of Christmas movies. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Joining me again today, Adam Holtz from Focus on the Family's Plugged In. You can find what we're talking about today at PluggedIn.com. Adam, welcome back. Always great to talk to you on Friday mornings. Oh, I love it. So in your Culture Clips piece this week, you have uh, this, the existential crisis of so many Christmas movies. What is that about? Yes. Well, Interestingly enough, existential was the word of the year for 2019 for dictionary.com, which I, you know, I guess they missed Kierkegaard and Sartre and a whole bunch of other people a while back, but whatever. Better late than never. Um, but they're they're adding it to the dictionary because of Toy Story 4 and Forky's existential crisis. So that brings us back to the existential crisis of Christmas and movies about it. Uh, we know that Hallmark Christmas movies have been a thing for actually quite a while now. They've got 24 new ones this year. But if you think you know Hallmark is the only game in town, everybody else has gotten on this bandwagon. And Entertainment Weekly reports that there are 105 new Christmas movies Ooh. streaming on Lifetime, Hallmark Channel, Netflix, Amazon Prime, Disney Plus, and honestly – even as an editorial staff at Plugged In, we have sort of frozen up, no pun intended, on how do you even know what to pick to review to help people? Um, now, the saving grace is it's actually all the same movie. Um, you know, there's a formula here, and everybody is working the formula over and over and over with minute variations. You know, it often involves a professional woman from a big city like New York City. She goes home to her hometown, which is, uh, you know, we'll call it Pinewood Grove. It's always in the Midwest, you know, Ohio, Indiana, Iowa, Missouri. Take your pick. It's somewhere where there are lots of trees and snow. Minnesota could definitely be Minnesota, and there probably is a Pinewood Grove in Minnesota. Uh, she has a serious boyfriend who's treating her badly, she meets a guy who's really nice but not as good-looking as her boyfriend uh, who works at an inn in town. There's usually an inn involved. Uh, she's torn existentially between you know, the nice guy and her rich boyfriend back in the city. And then she you know, decides to reject him, tries to go home, but a tree falls and blocks the road. 
and a Santa Claus character helps them connect in the end. Now, that may sound ridiculous, but honestly, it's not far off. And the only reason I can do that is because my family loves these movies. And so I've probably seen 50 of them in the last two years. So, you know, we <laughs> it's an interesting thing. What's the deal with all of these Christmas movies that are all basically barely PG, if not G-rated? Um, there's no content here at all. So um, I'm going to pause because, honestly, I could go on stream of consciousness talking about these movies for the next 20 minutes. But I want to give you a chance to respond. <laughs> um. <laughs> So are the best Christmas movies um, made made a long time ago or are the best Christmas movies being made today? And when we talk about a Christmas Ooh, movie. Good question. See, see, I think part of the challenge is if I'm going to watch a Christmas movie, I want to watch a movie that has a it's genuinely redemptive. It's not sappy. It's not necessarily yeah. sweet. It it deals as much with the slaughter of the innocents and the reality that Christmas is about the inbreaking of God into human history because of sin, um, yeah. as it is about you know I don't know lights and s- snowballs. Right. Well, there's no slaughter of innocents in any of these movies. Let me just start <laughs> there. Um, you know, I think that you're going to get more substantive Christmas movies with the older ones. You know, nobody's trying to do It's a Wonderful Life or Miracle on 34th Street. There's nothing that is going to approach that level of classicness. These are these are throwaway movies. You know, these aren't going to end up on anybody's best best of of 2019 list. But here's the interesting thing, though. I think this explosion of these kind of movies whether the producers in Hollywood realize it or not, it's evidence of our hunger for the gospel because they do give us a version of good news, which is that the nice guy can actually win in the end. Your small hometown is actually better than the hustle and bustle of New York City, that Christmas and family and family traditions are good things. So they actually emphasize a bunch of really terrific values. But as you said, they do it in a schmaltzy saccharine you know, oh, I didn't put the cap on the sugar uh, dispenser and it all fell out at once kind of way. Um, so I, I'm really, I have a really schizophrenic reaction to them because they're, they're shallow, they're predictable, they're formulaic, and yet they emphasize some things that I think we really hunger for, which is why I think they're so popular. Right. Place and people and yeah, yeah love. Yeah, totally. And, yeah. So before um, I let Adam Holtz totally ruin <clears throat> everyone's Christmas movie watching experience, we're going to take a oh, break. Oh come on! But but I do. Uh, but I because we're gonna we're gonna talk about some things that are um, are out now in theaters, um, not necessarily Christmas movies, but uh, yes, but some that true. are worth talking about. And then I want you to know that uh, David, our listener David, has texted in. There is, all caps, a Pine Grove, Minnesota. So there you go. You uh, oh, That mystery wow. is solved. All right, we'll be right back That's with incredible. more with Adam Holtz from Plugged In. There's also uh, a pine. There's like 16 pine groves in California. Uh, 16 towns with that name in all kinds of counties. Um, and this from a listener. Now, this is this is where our listeners are, like, trying to give you work to do. I know, right? Why don't you have Adam pitch the idea of some kind of, 
like I think what they're talking here would be like a, a, a television series that would be, you know, reality based. So so like a reality based TV show in um, in Pine Grove, Nevada, which is apparently a long forgotten ghost town that no one owns. Oh, so there you go. Pine so Grove it- has no people. It's it's a town. Ta- it's technically a vacant ghost town in rural Nevada. This is what I have for you. People think you ought to be out there pitching a probably. I mean, you know, I feel like that could be next year's Christmas blockbuster. Well, I mean, if we could do a Hallmark version, I mean, wouldn't it be fun to like reunite people who had unrequited love in junior high? So, you know, <laughs> the guy liked the girl, but he didn't like her. Hey, but let, he's let me, turned let me, on to let be me a... tell you that it's a it's an old mining town. So I was thinking that there uh, could no, also I... be like a Minecrafting community that moves oh, there yeah. together. I, I think there's. There's tremendous potential here. <laughs> okay, let's talk about <laughs> movies that actually are out right now. Right. So give, get, let's uh, let's walk down the list. Um, where do you want to start? Because there are several. Um, I'm thinking we start with Marriage Story. Yeah, let's start with Marriage Story. Marriage Story is a tough, tough movie, and you know one of the things about my job is we have to ask the question: Is it ever a redemptive thing to watch a hard story that has a lot of content? And obviously. We take the content in movies very, very seriously, and I would say <clears throat> the majority of the time the answer is no. But this is a movie about a marriage that falls apart, and we sort of see before and after. It stars Scarlett Johansson and Adam Driver. It was out briefly in theaters uh, and is a Netflix movie, so it will be streaming shortly, but it's at like 98% on Rotten Tomatoes. I mean it's it's one of the best-reviewed movies of the year, and it is about the brutal – gut punch that is divorce. This is a movie about a marriage falling apart. And and we see sort of the before and after. Um, and I find, you know, anybody who's been married a certain length of time, you know that you have moments in your marriage where you have discussions or arguments or disagreements or, you know, maybe you don't understand each other that take you by surprise. Not that you're on the verge of divorce necessarily, but You didn't expect this or see this coming. And I think stories like this can give us a jumping off point if you can deal with the language, especially for talking about the reality of your marriage. Now, again, this is not a very typical plugged in suggestion. I don't usually say let's go talk about an R-rated movie, but this is one that I think potentially could be a conversation starter. Now, there's there's actually a fair bit of, of sexual content that's more alluded to than shown here, too. Um, but, uh, yeah, you know, I I like movies that cause me to think about my own life and my own relationships. And I think this one, this one really accomplishes that, although it does it in a way that is pretty emotionally devastating. All right. Now I'm going to have you do these next uh, in, in pretty quick succession. Tell us about Knive, Knives Out. Knives Out is an Agatha Christie-style murder mystery starring pretty much everybody who is in movies today that you would want to see. They're pretty, they're all here. Um, and honestly, there's not much more to say about that. It is uh, directed by Ryan Johnson of, of Last Jedi fame, and there's a, a fair bit of profanity, some sexual allusions. It's solidly PG-13 in terms of the content. Uh, people have, have really enjoyed it. Uh, and again, it sort of digs into family dynamics and deception. So, you know, if you're into Agatha Christie's style whodunits, this might be a possibility after you check out our full review, of course. 
All right. And again, the full, the full reviews of each of these movies is at PluggedIn.com. How about Dark Waters? Dark Waters is a movie um, a lot like Aaron Brokovich. Uh, it stars um, mm. Mark Ruffalo as a guy who sort of gets unwittingly, un- unwittingly pulled into a small town crisis where DuPont uh, manufacturing is dumping chemicals and it's making people sick. And he doesn't really want to have anything to do with it. He's actually a defense lawyer, but um, he has some family connections there. And so it's based on a true story. If you Again, if you like true stories, if you like sort of real life David versus Goliath stories, this one will scratch that itch. All right. And then how about, I might mispronounce this, the Aeronauts? Yeah, the Aeronauts. What a what a a really interesting movie about two hot air balloon uh, riders. I guess you could say one of them is a pilot in the 1860s in Britain. Um, one of them is a budding sort of scientific meteorologist, wants to study the weather. Uh, the other is a woman who has lost her husband in a ballooning accident a few years before. They're played by Eddie Redmayne and Felicity Jones. They're wonderful together. Uh, this is one of my favorite movies this year. Almost zero content, one mild profanity. That's it. If you're afraid of heights, maybe avoid this one. Uh, but uh, kind of a remarkable little movie that has that kind of Disney movie throwback feel. Um, this one really took me by surprise, and I really enjoyed it. All right. And because um, Playmobil was a favorite oh, of boy. Paul Perot's kids. <laughs> uh, yeah, kids I just... love them. All right, so I I don't even know what it is, but here you go. What's the review of Playmobil, the movie? Well, I don't really know what it is yet either because it apparently was so bad that they didn't screen it for critics. It looks like a Lego movie kind of animated. uh, I'm going to just call it a ripoff, copycat, if maybe it's a little nicer. Uh, All right, don't don't and, wait. Then don't don't save your pennies up to see that. That's what that no, sounds it, like to me. It's at twenty three percent on Rotten Tomatoes, or yesterday yeah. it was. Our review will be up later today. We couldn't screen it till last night, uh, so our review will be coming. I suspect it's not going to be worth the ten bucks <laughs> you're going to plunk down for a ticket. <laughs> okay, so we've got uh, we got a minute left. Tell us why we should tune into the new podcast, the Plugged In Show. Yes. Yes, we have just launched and have the first two episodes up of The Plugged In Show, and you can get information on that at thepluggedinshow.com. And I'll be joined by my other compatriots on our team each week to have conversations that actually are a lot like the kind of conversation we're having right here. So if you enjoy what Carmen and I are, are talking about, come join us and you can get to know some of the other reviewers on our team. All right. We talked to a guy yesterday named Daniel Strange who wrote a book called Plugged In, um, and ah. you would totally dig him. Yeah? He, he, yeah, you would totally dig him. So anyway, I'm just going to make that connection at some point. I think Paul Paul okay. and I can hook you up with Daniel Strange, especially because he wrote the book called Plugged In. So you should have him yes. on the Plugged In show. Probably so. Yes. Yeah, you guys I... like each other a lot. All right. That, there you go. There's my uh, there's my social, actual, like in real life social connection uh, to be made today. Hey, Adam, thank you so much. Happy Friday. Happy Friday to you too, and have hey, a great week. Yeah, I think we're we're uh, we're not talking next week, so we'll talk in two weeks. Sounds great. Oh, we I'll are talking next week. Paul says Paul says we are talking next week, so I take that back. Okay, we'll see. We'll, okay. we'll talk to you next week. Okay, bye. Okay. Okay, so on social media, there's something called a hashtag. <clears throat> it looks like a little pound sign, and it has a lot of power. 
So we are going to talk next with Chris Martin from LifeWay Voices about the power of a good hashtag. Not a good hashtag because it's trending, a good hashtag because it's good and it does good and it seeks good and it seeks to provoke good. Good, like that which is transcendentally good. What's the power of a good hashtag? That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. So next week, um, you have the opportunity to participate in our year-end, I don't know, I don't only really like the word fundraising, so our year-end opportunity to share. Uh, and so we're going to invite you to consider the middle of next week um, as we talk together about, you know, the headline news and everything else we normally do here on the show. We're going to ask you to consider including this ministry in your year-end giving. And so this is sort of like, let me invite you to begin thinking and praying about the investment um, that you might make in this ministry, that it might be extended to reach more and more people. We have a really great ministry partnership um, with the Salvation Army. And so those who give next week at the $30 a month or higher level, so that's our um, you know, that's like a dollar a day is one way to think about that. And if you choose to join us at that giving level, not only are you going to get this really cool Faith Radio scarf, but um, a person in need through the Salvation Army in one of our local communities is going to get hat, a hat and some gloves, right? So ways to keep warm, not only ourselves, but our neighbors and extend the mercy and the ministry um, of this radio broadcast to others. So start thinking now about how you are going to participate with us in our year-end fundraising, right? But it's also just how you're going to share the benefits of your life and labor and extend this ministry to more and more people. So thanks in advance for considering that over the weekend. Next week, we are going to be inviting you to call in Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday um, to do just that. So there you go. That's what's up next week in the middle of the week. We'll be right back with Chris Martin from LifeWay Voices. Uh, I've waited too long to believe, way too long. What can I possibly do now for God? This is Max Lakato. God uses people to change the world. People, not saints or superhumans or geniuses, but people, crooks, creeps, lovers, liars. He uses them all. No wagging fingers, no crossed arms, only sweet open arms. If you've ever wondered if God can use you to make a difference in the world, just look at those he's already used and take heart. Look at the forgiveness found in those open arms and take courage. By the way, never were those arms open so wide as they were on the Roman cross, one arm extending back into history, the other reaching into the future, an embrace of forgiveness for anyone who'll come, a hen gathering her chicks, a, a father receiving his own, a redeemer redeeming the world. This is Max Locato. Joining me now, Chris Martin from LifeWay Voices. Uh, welcome back, sir. Thanks. Thanks for having me. So um, babies are great, and we are simply celebrating with you that your family is getting ready. Um, for a yes. new baby. And so during during Advent, when the rest of us are anticipating with great expectation, right, the celebration of the, the incarnation, the celebration of the coming of Christ, just tell us what are, if we were expecting a real baby to show up at our house in the next several months, what are a couple of things that Chris Martin has done in anticipation of an added person? 
Oh, that's a great question. Um, I've done a lot of research on a variety of baby things. Uh, baby so, things. You know, See, I like that. The ex- baby things. The, the various accessories that one needs uh, these days to parent, uh, you know, strollers, uh, uh, cradles, or, or other accessories. So I, I've researched those sorts of things um, from a just sort of a practical standpoint. My wife even more so as she's preparing to create sort of uh, registries for the for the uh, showers and all of that. Um, and then on top of that, honestly, I've, I've spent a ton of time praying about this. <laughs> um, Amen. I've wanted, I've wanted to be a dad for a really long, I mean, since we got married, I've always looked forward to having kids. Um, and now that it's in, in view, you know, now that, that, that sort of finish line of slash starting line of becoming a parent is in sight, it, it feels more real, which one is more exciting and two is more terrifying. So, um, I've been praying in my, in my, when I do my daily devotions now where, when I would, uh, before we got pregnant, I would occasionally pray that the Lord would help prepare me for parenthood. Now it's a daily thing for me to ask the Lord to, uh, uh form my heart to his and make me as much of a father like him as I can be. So I'm, I know that, um, you know, soon enough, probably after the baby is born, I'll start reading like practical parenting books, you know. Um, but but right now I'm just spending a lot of time asking the Lord to uh, make me less selfish, um, make me more willing to be a helper when I need to be, all of those sorts of things so that when baby comes, I'm not uh, shocked or or, you know, have that sort of culture shock feeling that I know a lot of people can feel. We talked with um, musician and author Michael Card just yesterday, and uh, he just spontaneously shared the story of how the song, Joseph, Joseph's song, um, like how that just flooded into his mind when he saw his brother hold his infant child, his first child, for the very first time. Um, and this, like, how can this be, and what do I do, and what, like, right? So this, like, awe So um, we look forward to celebrating that with you um, as you become a dad. Uh, So here, uh, a conversation I had with Andrew Peterson a couple of weeks ago, he shared something about how when they were, you know, a young family and and traveling, um, you know, doing road shows and all of that, and that they would get to, you know, wherever they were going and they would dump everything out of their suitcases and they would turn those suitcases into these little bassinets wherever they were for these babies that they had. And um, now now that's actually a thing. Like there's now a product that converts from a suitcase into um, a little travel place where your baby can sleep and it actually like serves as a bathtub and all kinds of things. So anyway, put that on the yeah. list because that well, and, and sounds to, cool. Yeah. To, to It's funny that you bring up Andrew Peterson. Uh, I got to spend some time with him because he published uh, his latest book, Adorning the Dark, with, um, with Lifeway. And, um, and so he was at Lifeway and I got to spend some time with him, record some video for lifewayvoices.com with him. And I've been a fan of his music for, for 10 years almost. And, um, we go to his behold the Lamb of God Christmas show every year, which is an amazing show that if, uh, if it comes anywhere near where any of you are listening, you should go see it. Um, and it's the most worshipful Christmas concert I've ever been to with no disrespect to it all the other great Christmas shows out there, like the Gettys, whose who show is awesome. Um, but 
But we go ever since we moved to Nashville, they play at the Ryman, which is a historic music venue here in downtown Nashville every year. They play a couple shows there usually. And since we moved here six years ago, we go every year and um, we're going again this year on, on Sunday. It comes to the Ryman on Sunday. And I was telling a friend the other day, it goes along with this baby conversation. The first time this so I love that album. And if I listen to any Christmas music outside of the Christmas season, it's it's his Behold the Lamb of God Christmas album, because um, it doesn't feel particularly jingle belly or festive necessarily. Um, and so I'll listen to it at various times. But this year, when I first listened to it around Thanksgiving uh, on my way to work, um, the song Labor of Love, which I believe he wrote or at least co-wrote it's on the album that Jill Phillips sings on the album about how uh, when Mary had Jesus, it was not a silent night and it was a labor of love and it wasn't particularly glamorous. I, I usually when I sing the, when, when I listen to the album, I sing along, I, I could not stop bawling my eyes out listening to that song. You know, obviously I'm not having, I'm not going to give birth to our child, but I'm going to be present and, listening to labor of love for the first time while my wife is carrying our baby was an incredibly profound experience. So I think I was just talking with my friend Trevin Wax the other day. Um, and he was talking about, I was explaining that phenomenon to him and he was like, yeah, the first time we were pregnant and, or, or the first Christmas we had a, a, a baby shortly after uh, our son was born, our first son was born all of those songs about baby Jesus and and sort of his helplessness and the fact that he came and took on this incredibly vulnerable state hit me harder than they ever did before. It just becomes a sort of reality that that before you're a parent, those things sometimes just sound theoretical. It's hard. It's hard to really recognize the vulnerability of a child um, from the outside before you have one, or for in my case, when when my wife is carrying one. So. It is amazing how that just how you see Christmas differently, how at least for me, how I'm seeing Christmas differently this year going into it uh, with this new perspective. All right. I'm so glad I asked you and I'm now going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to talk about um, genuinely like good hashtags. Like what is it? What does it look like to do good, be good, promote good um, through the use of a hashtag? So that's up next here with Chris Martin from LifeWave Voices. We'll be right back. Continuing my conversation with Chris Martin from LifeWay Voices. Um, Chris, let's talk about the power of a good hashtag. I actually saw this on your Twitter feed. Um, and so tell us about, well, first of all, let's start with what is a hashtag? What makes a good hashtag, at least in most people's minds? Um, and then what is this idea of actually using hashtags for good? Sure. So I think when um, when we were conversing about this topic via email yesterday, um, you cited my tweet in which so I, I re, on Giving Tuesday this year, um, I saw that the Gospel Coalition, who I've I've written for a couple of times and have some friends who write there pretty regularly, I saw they had a campaign for Giving Tuesday around bringing gospel centered hope to the millions of people who are searching about spiritual questions through Google or through search platforms in general, and they hashtagged it Hope for the Searching, and I think. 
I think the hashtag hope for the searching, just so you know, a hashtag is on Twitter or Instagram, uh, particularly they exist on Facebook, but from a social media strategy perspective, they're kind of useless on Facebook, but on, on Facebook and, or sorry, on Twitter and Instagram, a hashtag is a place or a, a thing where you use the pound sign the traditionally called the pound sign or the hash symbol. And then a string of words without spaces in between, because otherwise the spaces break the hashtag. And it usually helps you sort of create a campaign or a conversation around a topic or a genre of content. And once upon a time, I mean, Twitter invented the hashtag uh, in ter- when it comes to social media, um, almost shortly after its inception. Um, but Instagram, arguably Instagram has taken hashtags to another level. They're almost more important on Instagram these days from a strategy perspective than they are even on Twitter. And I think the most impressive thing, uh, the most important thing about the giving campaign that the Gospel Coalition did wasn't even the hashtag. Um, I think the hashtag was good, but if you look up the hashtag on Twitter, the only people who used the hashtag were the Gospel Coalition's branded Twitter accounts or people who worked for them. Um, the, The most the thing that made the gospel coalition's giving initiative so powerful, and this is a related conversation is that they were, what they were asking people to give toward was a campaign in which it sounds like the way they described it, they're going to invest a significant amount of time and energy and resources, money in creating content and promoting it in search platforms like Google Uh, So that people who search something like who is Jesus or is God real or other similar spiritual questions that are searched by millions of people every day. So so that the the point is so that their resources will pop up near the top of those Google search results rather than the rather than articles from sources that we as Christians would consider not trustworthy. So something that a lot of people don't realize is Google search results are very much a spiritual battleground. There are all kinds of, of, of religious organizations. The LDS church is one who comes to mind. I've read multiple articles in the past of how they invest a significant amount of time and money in creating content on websites and promoting that content in Google search platform so that if you search who is Jesus, their answer comes up before anyone else's. Um, and people are searching those things millions of times a day. Um, so the a, the Google search results uh, pages that we all go to every day almost for various things, whether it's how to change a tire, how to cook dinner, or who is God, are very much a spiritual battleground um, in, in the millions of people, mission field, if you will, that um, are currently in many ways being dominated by by religious groups who, as Christians, we would consider uh, not trustworthy, who are who are their answers for people's questions um, are not aligned with scripture and truth. And so I thought the Gospel Coalition's um, desire to kind of their initiative, their campaign to create a bunch of content and work, you know, put you can advertise in Google search results and and push their content kind of floated up to the top of questions like who is God or what's the purpose of life. Um, is an incredibly important campaign that even though, uh, you know, I work at Lifeway and TGC is a partner in a lot of ways, I'm just a, I'm a huge fan of anyone getting trustworthy content into the hands of people who are asking genuine spiritual questions as opposed to um, them maybe finding those results from not so trustworthy places. So it is it is fascinating, right? And it is so 
um, so this happens globally through uh, a ministry called Global Media Outreach, and they make millions of uh, gospel presentations every day. And every single day, they connect tens of thousands of of people who, because they are typing a question into their mobile phone, and they and, and Global Media Outreach is using um, those Google Analytics to be the first click. They are they are the first click. And that person is then not only connected to, um, you know, very simple website that answers the question directly, <clears throat> but makes a gospel presentation. And if they want, connects them to a, uh, a global online missionary um, who then uh, sends them a link. Well, actually, they can click on this as well to download a Bible. And that's actually through uh, the ministry Faith Comes by Hearing. Faith Comes by Hearing is seeing more than 10,000 downloads a day that are linked directly from people asking these very simple questions like, can God love a Hindu? And that person, you know, that is living in that place that n- no missionary is ever going to reach is reached by, you know, the people of Christ through their phone because Google helped Global Media Outreach connect with that individual and then connect them with an online missionary who connected them with the scriptures who then ultimately connects them with a church. It's pretty incredible. It's, it's, it is, yeah. it, it's incredible. And, yeah, it's, and, really it, and cool. it's time and it's time for it to be here in the United States. So like, I appreciate that the gospel coalition, I mean, essentially they're going to seek to answer <clears throat> these questions for English speakers. That's sort of the crowd, right? And it's kind of a smarty pants crowd too. So, you know, maybe the smarty pants question askers are going to be the ones who end up getting their questions answered in this particular space but I just love it that God is using the power of technology, the power of Google Analytics, the power of uh, of these cell phones that are distributed everywhere around the world in the hands of people where missionaries cannot go because the countries are closed. It's just, it's so awesome. You just feel like we're just right on the verge of this global surge in terms of, of the awakening of real faith. I, I just, I'm thrilled by it. Yeah, yeah, it's really cool. I think the internet, there's obviously plenty of problems and <clears throat> terrible things that have come along with the internet. Anytime you connect everyone around the world, there are going to be wrinkles and issues and crime. Um, but I think for Christians, the the many ways that we can use the internet, which can be a very dark place to shine the light of the gospel, we should try to do everything we can. And that's something I'm just really passionate about. That's when I when people ask me what I want to do for the rest of my life or, or even within Lifeway, I'm like, hey, as long as I am using the internet to try to help people connect with the truth of scripture and come to know who the Lord is, I'm going to be happy. I really just... I really think it's incredibly important, and the more Christian organizations of various kinds who who consider the gospel to be the ultimate truth that we all live for and build our lives around, I'm all in favor of anyone using the internet to to help as many people come to see that as possible. All right, I got a guy you got to meet. Um, so thank you. We got to cl- we got to bring it to a conclusion right there. But I got a guy you got to meet. I mean, I just all of a sudden I'm like, mm, I need to have like real lunch with real people here in Nashville and put them together. So, <laughs> thank you, thank you, thank you for being with us. Thank you for um for sharing with us this great anticipation of a new life entering uh, the Martin household soon. Have a very very merry Christmas. If I don't know, we're probably talking to you before then. So I won't wish you merry Christmas. Yet. Happy Advent. <laughs> sure. Yeah, you too. Happy Advent. We'll be right back. 
All right, we have just a few seconds left, so let me just say, um, be good and do good and read good and share good and God. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.